It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things, so that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For it is clear that he did not come to help angels, but the descendants of Abraham. Therefore he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. Now, gospel reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 2. Now, after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem, who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father, Herod. He was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, 
he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. I always have trouble with sermon titles, as I'm usually only partway through my sermon when I need to send a title to Martha. So I usually go with something pretty generic, as in today's title, Into Egypt. As I get deeper into this scripture, I realize that The Stranger in the Land might have been a more fitting title. In the Old Testament, we are exhorted at least 36 times to care for the stranger in the land, remembering that we or our ancestors were once strangers in a foreign land also. Surely this current era of history that we live in will be thought of as the age of the refugee or the age of global migration. So many are the conflicts and political and economic upheavals that are driving people out of their homelands to become strangers in the land, seeking the mercy and compassion of those who live in more peaceful nations. Peaceful living in their home country is to be a dream, not a reality for Mary and Joseph and Jesus. They are to become, for a while, strangers in the land. Today's scripture begins, after they had left, they are the three wise men who have just brought their wonderful, precious gifts to Jesus, marking him as a king, confirming his identity as the chosen one of God. Matthew does not mention the humble stable or the lowly shepherds, and the animals in his birth narrative. Rather, he begins the story with Jesus' genealogy, linking him with Father Abraham and the Jewish patriarchs, with the greatest king of all the kings of Israel, King David. Matthew does not tell of the difficult journey to Bethlehem. Indeed, he only links Jesus with, with Nazareth, Nazareth, once the Holy Family returns from Egypt. But while he does indeed underscore Jesus' important lineage and honor of the three kings' visit, Matthew doesn't sugarcoat the story or make Jesus' childhood appear idyllic. His birth is surrounded by beauty, but there are hard roads ahead, sooner rather than later. After the wise men have left, the difficulties begin immediately. Joseph is warned in a dream that Herod wants to kill the infant Jesus. Indeed, Herod has all the boy children under the age of two slaughtered just to be sure that there will be no threat to his reign as king of the Jews. Anna Case Winters, in her commentary on Matthew, points out that Herod has no royal connections whatsoever. He has no credibility among the Jews, but he is a tyrannical 
and cruel military leader who rules by terror, and he is a puppet king of the Romans. If this child, Jesus, is truly of authentic lineage, he could be a real threat to the power of Herod and his sons. Now, some theologians and historians have questioned whether there was historically such a massacre of the innocents, since there's no reference to it in any other historical documents of the time. However, others point out that Herod's murderous acts, many of which have been documented, were so frequent and so terrible that this was likely just one atrocity among many. It's also pointed out that Bethlehem was small, a town of only about 500 people at that time, so there may not have been very many children in this age group for Herod's henchmen to kill. Matthew once again links events with Jewish history as he quotes the prophet Jeremiah A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. Here Matthew brings in, for the first time, the woman's voice. The woman's voice has been silent, Mary playing a secondary role to Joseph in the telling of the story. Rachel, of course, as Jacob's wife and Benjamin's mother, is the matriarch of all of Israel. And so, as she weeps for the deaths of these innocent children, she is weeping for the entire nation and its fate. These deaths are not to be regarded as collateral damage, but they are to be paid attention to as the great tragedy that they are, victims of a cruel tyrant who cares for wealth and power and has no regard for human life or human feelings. These little ones are to be mourned on an epic level. They are the tragedy of the entire nation of Israel. Their deaths are the world's tragedy. As they seek to avoid this horror, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus become political refugees. By their very existence, they have offended the powers that be, and they must seek shelter in another country. It's a very significant journey from Bethlehem to Egypt. I tried to find out just how far it was, and I got answers from... 50 miles to up to something like two or 300 miles. So I don't know if the geography of the area has changed so much that it's, uh, it's hard to determine. But however, it was a very significant journey that they undertook with a young baby and with little time to prepare. The significance of their choice of Egypt is not lost on ancient or modern readers. Egypt was, of course, the country of the Jews' enslavement, but it now provides a refuge for the infant Jesus and his family. 
We know from archaeological finds that there were Jewish settlers in Egypt at the time, so we can imagine the family finding friends and support there. I wonder how many of these other settlers had also to flee from Herod's wrath. How many had stories of their own persecution to tell. In recent years, the majority of refugees seem to come from troubled areas in the Middle East. But it's not so very long ago that refugees were flooding out of Croatia, the former Yugoslavia, to seek asylum in more peaceful parts of Europe and in the U.S. And within living memory, vast numbers of Europeans fled the Soviet bloc in Europe and came to this country. Many Polish immigrants faced initial prejudice and hostility, but soon became well integrated into American life. Herod was horribly cruel and murdered many, many people in horrific ways. This was state-sponsored terrorism comparable to any we find today in the war-torn countries of the world. And lest we think it is only Middle Eastern countries that can treat people in this way, lest we think that we in the West are immune, remember Germany under Hitler. Italy under Mussolini, in living memory of our elder population. Within our own easy memory, remember Bosnia under Radovan Karavic. Northern Ireland, with its IRA, acts of terror and retaliatory British atrocities. Persecution by the corrupt and powerful and terrorist atrocities are alive and well in many regions of the world. Time magazine right now is focusing on the stories of four Syrian newborn children and their families as they struggle to find a way forward during this horrific time of war in their homeland. One such family, Noor and Youssef, fled Syria in terror just a few days after they were married. Noor found out that she was pregnant soon after they arrived at a camp located inside an old warehouse in Greece. Though she was happy about the coming child, Noor was devastated to go through the pregnancy and the birth without the help of her mother, who traditionally would have been very involved in all the preparations for the new child. Noor and Youssef must rely on articles from the Internet, to help them with newborn care. Their cell phones are their lifeline, and like other refugees, they continue to pay for cell phone and internet service to keep them hopefully connected with relatives at home and elsewhere. But their parents live in an area of of Syria where the internet is banned, so these new parents cannot even talk to their own parents to share the news of their baby's birth. Many Syrian refugees are well-educated, professional people. Noor and Youssef met in college while they were both students. They and their child, especially their child, are the innocent victims of a horrific war that seems almost endless.
Greece, the country that has taken them in, is the poorest country in the European Union, but it has offered shelter to so many of these desperate refugees. It's often the case that the poor are the ones to offer help to those in need. When I worked with migrant families, I knew families who would take in another family with children to live with them in an already overcrowded trailer rather than see a needy neighbor go without shelter. We have no idea what kind of accommodations Joseph, Mary, and Jesus found in Egypt. But I like to think that another family, perhaps Jewish, perhaps not, took them in and housed them at least until Joseph could set up shop with his carpentry work and establish a living and a home for them. I like to think that kind women helped the very young Mary to take care of her newborn, that compassionate men helped Joseph to put together a makeshift workshop and shared tools with him until he could make or buy his own. I like to imagine that the people they found themselves neighbors to followed the ancient scriptures that insisted on so many occasions that they take care of the stranger who came among them, remembering that their own ancestors were for many years strangers in the land, dependent upon the kindness of others. This story makes it abundantly clear that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in his earliest years, was a refugee. His family had to cross the border from their own country to seek safety and asylum. When we see scenes from the borderlands, do we see simply a stranger or do we see Christ in the eyes of the refugee? Do our hearts open with compassion for all that they have gone through? The fear, the terror, the loss of home and family? Can we acknowledge that these people are our responsibility simply because they are fellow human beings in desperate need? Are there risks involved? Of course. There are always risks. Living life is risky. But how much greater is the opportunity for joy and for a life enriched by knowing and serving those who come seeking help? It is risky to love. After all, Jesus Christ risked everything by offering boundless love to us. What would have become of the Holy Family if they had not found refuge in Egypt? What will become of Noor and Yusuf and their little baby boy? Will they be able to find a new start in a more prosperous country in Europe or perhaps in the U.S.? Will they be fortunate enough to be sponsored by one of the Christian churches here, including Presbyterian churches in this nation, who are providing housing 
and job skills training for Syrian refugees? Will they be able to return home again, as Mary, Joseph, and Jesus did, to a country that is at last safe for them? This is a troubling story, and one we would perhaps rather turn away from. It's filled with horror, with fear, and touches on the worst side of human nature. But there is hope to be found for the Holy Family. God is with them throughout their troubles, guiding them, providing for them in times of need. As today's refugees travel in those dangerous, flimsy boats across perilous seas, how many cry out to God in desperation, but also in hope of God's protection. And as they hope, will they find compassionate hearts when they reach kinder shores? Will there be warm blankets, shelter, nourishing food to sustain them for a while? Will God's people show God's mercy to the ever-present stranger. Amen. Now let us stand as we are able and affirm our belief together by saying the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.